0: So this week I went and saw Avatar at the Caprice Theater. They have half off on Tuesdays, if you didn't know that. And there was a phrase that I noticed was repeated in the movie a lot. Turns out it's a Navi greeting. And it's the title of the theme song. Anybody know what that line might be? Any Avatar fans here? I see you. And when you watch the movie, you get the sense that it's a lot deeper than, hi, nice to see you. It seems like they're saying to each other when they say, I see you, and then I see you. It's like they're saying, I see all that you are. I see all that you've been through. I see your essence, your goodness. I stand in the flow of who you are and receive you. I see you. I think we all want this, don't we? My dad gave me a birthday card last week, and that's a big deal because in my family, my mom buys the birthday cards, signs it, love mom, and and then my dad fills his name in when he remembers. My dad was a scientific engineer, so emotions weren't his hmm, primary way of engaging the world. He's never given me a card just from himself. It's purple (laughs) with lots of squiggly, beautiful writing and beautiful sentiments. And then he wrote me a message in the back, told me it was one of his great blessings to have me as a daughter. I felt so seen by that simple act. Father Greg Boyle said in one of his books that we have an overactive disapproval gland. And that's why we create God in our own image, as disapproving and critical as Santa Claus watching to make sure if we're naughty or nice. Anthony DeMello had a beautiful kind of antidote to that kind of thinking. He wrote, behold the one beholding you and smiling. I think sometimes it's good to slow down and just remember that. That God gazes on us with that kind of delight. I know I've told you this story before, but it's so foundational to how I see and know God that I'm just going to share it again. It was my first encounter with God as a small child. It happened when I was about four or five, and we lived in a very small house, and then we had a very small garden, but there was a drain pipe, <laughs> and at the bottom of the drain pipe was a little cement trough, and in the cement trough were little stones, And one day it rained and the water poured out the drain pipe into the trough. And the sun came out and lit up the little stones at the bottom of the trough. And he looked at them and was filled with awe as only a child, you know, can do when they're discovering something for the first time. I'm seeing these little stones and all their different colors. And as I'm delighting in these stones, there is this voice from within me and from without me that said to me, as you delight in these stones, O small one. So I delight in you. And it came from so far outside myself and yet also so much within myself. And it came so concretely and unexpectedly without warning and was outside anything I had ever known that I have never once doubted the realness of that encounter. I see you. I delight in you. That was my first vision of God. And it wasn't in church, but it was in my little garden. Tiger's words you are the god who sees me resonates deeply with me. Maybe it was because of that encounter, maybe it was cuz I was a quite a quiet child and often felt very invisible on the school playground. So I find her story healing and her poignant naming of god as one who saw her as quite beautiful. And surely this name alone Has the capacity to expand our vision of God. We could just stop there and go home. But then again, there's so much more about this ancient, ancient story that has the capacity to expand our vision of God. So I'm going to take it a little bit further. If you go back earlier and you read Genesis 12, you'll find a little bit about who I think Hagar is. You see, there's a famine in the land, and Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt to find food. Now, Sarah was really beautiful. So, Abraham passed her off as his sister, and Pharaoh took her into his harem. When Pharaoh found out that Abraham had lied, he sent them packing, including all the slaves and gifts that Pharaoh had given Abraham in exchange for his wife. And most likely, Hagar was among them. In the Muslim tradition, Hagar was thought to be Pharaoh's daughter gifted to Abraham in return for Sarah. Whoever she was before she left Egypt, when she joined Abraham's company, she became a slave to Sarah, a possession, a piece of property, an alien, far from place and people. She wasn't seen. She existed to see and serve the purposes of others. And she had little agency, well, probably No agency over her body. So when Sarah said to Abraham, Take my slave, sleep with her, and use her to bear me a child, that is what happened to her. And when Hagar conceived and Sarah got jealous of the baby inside her and complained to Abraham, Abraham said, Do whatever you want to to her. And so Sarah did. And that's where the story happens. She reaches a breaking point from being mistreated and runs into the wilderness, most likely to die. Unseen, unimportant. And then in this moment of deep distress, the angel came to her, Where have you come from? Where are you going? She could only say where she had come from because she probably had no idea where she was going. There was no place to go. She would probably die. And knowing the truth of this, the unlikelihood of her survival if she stayed put, the angel said, Go back, submit to the unjust confines of your life with Sarah and Abraham. But you will have a child. And from this child will come a vast number of people. And he will be a wild child, not easily daunted by his brother. I just want to pause there and drink that in for a moment. Do you see that? Hagar, Egyptian slave woman. God makes a covenant with her about her descendants very similar to the covenant he made with Abraham, promises her her son will live and a great nation will come from her. Guess who claims Hagar as their matriarch? Anybody know? Yeah, Islam. Pretty radical. A woman, a slave, a foreigner, kind of on par with Abraham. And if this wasn't alone, radical enough, she does something It's the only time this happens in the Hebrew scriptures. She gives God a name. She's the only one in the Hebrew scriptures who names God. Hagar, the slave woman. God is the one who sees me. On Thursday, I accompanied Jess to chemotherapy for the afternoon. We were sitting in pod nine. And I was very unsuccessfully attempting to write a sermon. Unsuccessful because she had intended to rest and I had intended to write, but it turns out we both thought talking to each other was so much more interesting. We began to talk about Hagar, though, and her experience of God as the one who saw her. We began to talk about this strange covenant God made with her and how Ishmael, her son, was seen as the forefather of Muhammad and Islam. And that's when Jess asked this beautiful, provocative question well, do Muslims view Hagar the way we view Mary? And I said, I don't know. And that question led us on this little wild goose chase through Google, right there in the chemo room, learning about Hagar and Islam and Mary and the pilgrimage to Mecca, which turns out they're all very connected. And it all stems from a story later on in the book of Genesis. Sarah finally gets what she wants. A son, Isaac. At a ripe old age, he's born, but she's still bitter about Hagar and doesn't want to share her inheritance with Ishmael. So she tells Abraham to cast Hagar and Ishmael out into the wilderness to die. He does. And then the text picks up. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. She went off and sat down about a bowshot away and thought, I can't watch the boy die And as she sat there, she began to sob. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. They grew up around that spring. Today, that spring is called Zamzam's well. And the place where Ishmael grew up around that well is called Mecca. The Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, is one of the five pillars of Islam. Pilgrims trace the path of Hagar and Ishmael in her search for water. They drink from that well. They bottle it up and take it home. One Muslim website I visited named Hagar, the mother of monotheism. Can we just pause and notice that the God of Abraham and the God of Hagar are one in these texts? The same God met each of them in the wilderness. The same God looked out for them, made a covenant promise of a nation that would come from their womb and their seed. Abraham would be the father of a great nation, but Hagar would be the mother of another. Both lineages, a promise of God. It's right there in the earliest part of our religious history, a vision of a God who will not be confined. So much religious energy has gone into defining who are God's people and who aren't, who get to be in, who get to be out. Yet in the earliest beginnings of our spiritual history, God is found coloring outside those lines. I want to slow it down even further and ask you to notice a pattern. Pharaoh saves Abraham from starvation. God is with Abraham. Abraham comes away with an Egyptian slave and mistreats her. She runs away. God is with the Egyptian Hagar. Hagar has a son, Ishmael. His tribe becomes known as the Ishmaelites. God is with the Ishmaelites. Abraham has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, who has a son, Joseph. They are known as the Israelites. Joseph's brother put him in a hole and leave him to die. And who should come along and save him? The Ishmaelites. They buy Joseph from his brothers and give him back where? To Egypt. Joseph warns Pharaoh that a famine is coming. Pharaoh stockpiles food. God is with the Egyptians. Then Joseph saves his family from famine through Pharaoh. God is with the Israelites. It seems to me that the consistent factor in the story is how God shows up for those who are oppressed, cast out, hungry, thirsty, poor, on the margins, over and over again. Again. Why? Because God is the one who sees them. How does the story widen your image of God? Does it threaten you or comfort you to think that God made a covenant to Abraham and Hagar? That both the Jews and the Muslims seem to be a fulfillment of God's promises. Amen.